I just don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> was in the beginning <laughs> it's okay i'll cut it out <laughs> hello hello welcome to our podcast true crimes and story times i'm michelle i'm kirsten and uh it's a rough one today you know what now that i think about it i'm probably just gonna keep that cough in it was pretty candid it was pretty <laughs> funny you usually count down you usually go three two and then you i did it <laughs> and you did it and so i was like maybe i have time to cough i was just going for it so now you can just hear me cough <laughs> oh god it was candid it's okay anyways welcome to the pod welcome if you don't know we're true crimes and story times and we do story times and true crimes yeah but right now it's true crimes (laughs) (laughs) but if you wanted to listen to a story time kirsten just did one check it out it's yeah the top five haunted places in america according to the list that kirsten found (laughs) (laughs) yes there was many a list this is the one that i chose (laughs) anywho today we're doing an australian case we live australia hello and it's um down under mr cruel mr cruel and it's a bad one i just did an australian case (gasps) another synchronicity Uh, what was her name Catherine knight go listen to it yuck I'm just going to jump right into this. Um, Big trigger warning for sexual assault, pedophilia. I am out. Kidnapping. I'm I'm out. Any of the sort, just skip it. This is going to hurt me. This one's going to hurt Kirsten for sure. God, this is going to hurt me. Why do you do this to me? (sighs) You always pick the ones with the children. I do. I'm just kidding. I I really don't. I think this is like one of the only ones we've done that have like small kids. Yeah. Are they small? I mean, they're young. So they, let's just let's just go into it. They better not be as young as my kids. They're not. Okay. That doesn't make it any better. No. Um going back to August 22nd of 1987. Okay. On the outskirts of Melbourne, Australia. Mhm. We are talking 4 a.m. on a Saturday. Okay. Removing a pane from the family's living room window, a criminal made his way inside. And he did so quietly because no one woke up. Not a okay. sound. Sorry, this is not helping your nightly terrors. Dude, I <laughs> literally am so paranoid at night. This is going to make me even I'm more sorry. paranoid. Oh my goodness. This masked man made his way to the bedroom of the parents armed with a knife and a gun. And he woke up the two parents. He pretended to be just a common thief and told them basically he was interested in their personal belongings. He just wanted their money. Okay. He told the parents to roll over onto their stomachs. Tied both their hands and feet together. Okay. He used a type of knot commonly known and used by sailors or those with nautical experience. Okay. He ordered them into their nearby wardrobe. Not to Narnia, by the way. Dang. That would have been so cool. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, he did blindfold them, gag them, each with surgical tape and that he had brought with him. Okay. He locked both of them in the wardrobe. 
under the threat of like i will kill you mm-hmm. and ended up making his way through the rest of the house oh my gosh next he woke up the six-year-old son and he blindfolded and gagged him as well with surgical tape and then like tied him to the bed basically yeah i was trying to think of the other word yeah confined him to his bed oh okay um, the intruder then made his way into the nearby bedroom of the 11-year-old daughter. And over the next two hours, trigger warning right here. Just I stop. can't. The masked I intruder can't. would take breaks from his own perverted sexual desires to wander throughout the family home, even stopping at one point to make himself a meal. And after spending the better part of two hours sexually assaulting the 11-year-old girl, he left the house with a box of, of classic records and a blue jacket. Which he stole from the family. And this is how the legend of Mr. Cool began and established an Australian boogeyman that would haunt parents and children for decades afterwards. Yeah, I would never be feel safe in my house again. Following the attack, the police were obviously called and brought in to investigate the crime. The police hadn't made any progress on the case. And the family had no enemies, and they were having having trouble figuring out why did this person pick this family. Mm-hmm. In the late 1980s, Melbourne had the reputation of being like a really safe place, and really, it was just safe, you know, mm-hmm. safe places that always people always say like, mm-hmm. "Oh, this is a really safe town." Mm-hmm. Well, things can happen even in your safe town. Sorry, Kirsten, I'm just making this worse and worse for you. You are um, literally just planting, you're literally my nightmare on paper. I know, I'm sorry. I'm planting a little seed. The seed was already there, you're watering it. I'm sorry. <laughs> you agreed to this podcast, okay? I know, I know. We're spreading awareness, I'm sorry. Well, blame this on Austin, because he was, he saw this case and was like, ugh. Damn it. Damn it, Austin. You can't say that. His birthday's coming up, come on. Okay. So, police began to look more closely into the assault. Like, what was the motive? Like, why these people? Mm-hmm. More details came out when the investigators began to focus on the daughter. And she told the police that during one of the perpetrator's breaks, he had used the family phone to call someone else. This call was a threat, as apparently the man had demanded the person on the other end of the phone to move their children or else they would be next. And he referred to this person as Bozo. Okay. But... When the police checked the family's phone records, they found that the call hadn't taken place. And this was before cell phones, by the way. Okay. So, later on, this was found to be a trend of Mr. Cruel. Okay. He liked to plant red herrings. Okay. And confuse investigators. He was never on the phone. He was just pretending to be to make it seem like mm-hmm. he was, like, doing something. So, he yeah. would do this a lot. It would be over a year before he struck again. But on December 27th of 1988, 1988, excuse me, John Wills, his wife, and his four daughters were sleeping in their Ringwood area home, just a few miles southeast where the previous assault had taken place over a year prior. It was around 5.45 in the morning, and the sensation of an object to his temple startled him awake. And a voice told him, don't be a hero. Oh my gosh. The intruder was wearing dark blue overalls and a blue ski mask, and he was also holding a gun to John's head. He was holding a knife in his other hand. John and his wife were both ordered to roll on their stomachs, and they were bound at their wrists and ankles with copper wire. Okay. A similar type of knot was used like before, a specialized one used primarily by sailors. 
They were then blindfolded and gagged with the same type of surgical tape. Okay. The intruder told them that he was only there for their money, just like they had. he had coaxed the last family. Mm-hmm. He stole roughly $35 from the family's bedside table, and he went throughout the house physically cutting the home phone lines. Because, again, no cell phones. This was the only way to contact people. Mm-hmm. He then made his way into the bedroom that the family's four daughters shared. Addressing 10-year-old Sharon Wills by name, this man woke up the groggy 10-year-old and then proceeded to blindfold and gag her as he had her parents. He stopped to pick up a few items of her clothing and then made off with her into the early morning. She was gone. Oh my goodness. It took roughly 15 minutes for the two parents to break free of their restraints. Yeah, it was copper copper wire, right? Mm-hmm. That can't be easy to get out of. No, but then they realized that their oldest daughter was missing. Then they tried to use the phone, and the phone lines were cut, so John rushed to the next-door neighbor's house to use their phone. Mm-hmm. He proceeded to scrounge and search this neighborhood for his daughter. Yeah, I would too. And unfortunately, he came up with nothing. Ten-year-old Sharon Wills was gone. For over 18 hours, the Wills family worried that their 10-year-old daughter had been taken from them for good. It was just after midnight when a woman stumbled upon a small figure standing on a street corner. And wrapped in green garbage bags, it was Sharon Wills. Oh my goodness. And she was surprisingly calm and collected after all this happened. Um, probably shocked, really. She's yeah. probably in shock. Yeah. She told the woman, my name is Sharon Wills, and I was taken from home early this morning. A man left me here and told me to go and ring home. The woman that found her called police and got in touch with her family, and soon they were all reunited. Okay. But the investigation was just beginning. Oh, gosh. It turned up some surprising evidence, or rather... The lack of any evidence. Okay. But they did get a few things. Sharon was blindfolded throughout the entire ordeal, so she can't give a physical description. Mm-hmm. She did describe him as soft-spoken and seemed somewhat caring about his victims. That's weird. Very. One of the words to describe him, to describe the attacker, was gentle. No, thank you. During her brief captivity, Sharon was apparently fed a Vegemite sandwich and given some milk and lemonade to drink. Okay. Shortly before being let go, the suspect had given the 10-year-old a thorough cleaning, not only washing off any possible forensic evidence he had left behind, but he clipped her fingernails and toenails and brushed and flossed her teeth. So there was absolutely no DNA on her whatsoever. Not even a little. And the abductor either kept or discarded her clothes, not wanting any forensic evidence to be traced back to him. He then dressed her in an assortment of garbage bags before dumping her off on the grounds of Baywater High School, just a few miles away from her house. Investigators were quick to piece this incident to the prior one in the lower plenty, but they wouldn't make details of that public for quite some time. Keeping it close to the chest. Yeah, always. The nickname of the Hampton Rapist began to be used to describe this boogeyman. Really just a criminal, but okay. So, if he would rape his victims, could they not get DNA that way? He thoroughly cleaned them, so I have no idea. Also, this is the 19. I guess they wouldn't have any DNA to, like, match it with. You have to have DNA to compare it well, to, Not only guess, that, it was so. the 1980s. Yeah, that's true. They didn't really have a lot of... Yeah, A lot going true. for them right now, as, as far as DNA. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if they thought to do a rape kit 
that's true and i guess if i'm if you're really thinking about it if he used like a condom or something Mm -hmm. there would be no dna Mm -hmm. so yeah gross the parents along with their four daughters began to sleep in the family's lounge together refusing to sleep in separate bedrooms for months i'm never letting my son leave my bed they installed a security system and were even given a golden retriever as a pet by a caring person Very little evidence was left behind or ever found, and none of it could be used to find one specific person. Okay. (coughs) Sorry, what the hell just happened? Excuse (laughs) you. Literally, I was like, (coughs) something like tickled my throat. Choking. One piece of evidence was emerged in later interviews in which Sharon told of hearing low-flying aircraft during her short captivity. Mm-hmm. This is a clue that would go on to affect the investigation later on. So after Sharon, two more years would pass before another crime occurred. Okay. This is the area area of Canterbury, Victoria. And this lies just on the outskirts of Melbourne. Okay. Located west of Ringwood and south of the Lower Plenty. The Linus family were rather well-off English citizens who had been renting a house along Monometh Avenue. Okay. For context, this neighborhood had been home to many Australian politicians and public officials. So they were very, like, wealthy. Mm-hmm. Moving to Australia for business purposes, the family was prepared to move back to England in the very near future. In fact, they had moved to Melbourne area... Oh, sorry. To this Melbourne area community, specifically to raise their children safely, and were planning on making their move back home just days later. And on July 3rd of 1990, their illusion of safety would be shattered forever. Mm -mm. The Linus parents, Brian and Rosemary, were at a farewell party being thrown for them. They had left their two daughters alone at home for just a few hours. And it was shortly before midnight when 15-year-old Fiona and 13-year-old Nicola were awoken by the angry commanding barks of a masked intruder. Mm. He ordered Nicola into another room to collect her school uniform from the Presbyterian Ladies' College she attended while he began to tie up Fiona in in the very bed she had just been sleeping in. He was armed with a gun and a knife, and he told Fiona that her father, Brian, would have to pay $25,000 for the safe return of Nicola. He took her and made his escape in the family's own rental car, which was parked in the driveway. And the two drove for about a kilometer, and then they proceeded to park the family's rental car and presumably transfer to another car that he had prepared. Mm-hmm. His car was parked that he drove to, by the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Obviously, if it was in drive, then that probably wouldn't be. Right. right. <laughs> 20 minutes. Sorry, I'm not laughing about what's happening right now. Just. I said a parked car specifically. Obviously, it's a parked car. Obviously. Dumb no, it's show. a driving car. Literally. 20 minutes after the abduction that Brian and Rosemary Linus returned home. They found their driveway empty and the front door was wide open. And they found 15-year-old Fiona bound on her own bed. The police found almost no evidence from the crime scene itself. Unlike the abduction of Sharon Wills, Nicola wasn't returned later that day or even the next day. Mm. Roughly 36 hours after the abduction, her father, Brian, held a press conference in which he pleaded with the abductor and stated his willingness to comply with the ransom demands in any way possible. 
Mr. Cruel didn't leave a way to contact him to pay the ransom. Right. So he had to go on TV, basically, mm-hmm. and say, hey, I'll pay the ransom. Just give me my daughter back. Right. The investigation began to look into business dealings of Brian's, beginning to think that somehow this may have been related to his work. Mm-hmm. They were just trying to look at all angles. The police believed at the time that this ransom must have been personal in nature. Mm-hmm. But Nicola was found alive approximately 50 hours after being abducted. It Dang. was her 14th birthday. Dang. Yeah. She was what found outside an electricity station in Kew, just a short distance away from her home. Fully dressed and wrapped in a blanket, her abductor had left her outside the utility station and told her to sit in a prone position until he could drive away. After that, she removed the blindfold and then made her way to a nearby home. It was shortly after 2 in the morning, but she immediately phoned her father. Nicola was able able to provide the investigators with some details, a rough estimation of the perpetrator's height, which was roughly 5 foot 8. Okay. Or 175 centimeters. Okay. She had guessed this by judging her own height to the attacker when he rushed her from her bedroom to the getaway car mm-hmm. and said that he barely stood taller than her. Okay. She revealed information that the suspect likely had reddish brown hair and Nicola was also able to give detectives some vital details, a description of her abductor's house and vehicle. Okay. She had been blindfolded for the duration of her captivity, but had been given a few chances to get a glimpse, and she took it. Right, yeah. This went in direct contract to threats given to her by Mr. Cruel. He had told her, my freedom is worth more than your life. So, her taking those looks had been pretty risky, Yeah. but she wanted to do it anyways. She's going to try and get out or die trying. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like Sharon Wills, she had been bathed and cleaned before he let her go. And throughout her captivity, she had been forced into a neck brace fastened to the abductor's bed. Oh, hell the fuck no. During everything that happened, it was reported that Mr. Cool talked aloud to another person while Nicola was blindfolded in a bedroom, but she never heard a response. Mm-hmm. And investigators weren't really sure if it was an accomplice or, again, he was just doing it to throw off the investigation. Right. After they got their daughter back, they did move back to England. And after they did, she told police that she remembered hearing the same type of low-flying aircraft that Sharon had reported. So maybe he lives close to an airport. To investigators, this meant that the suspect lived in the surrounding vicinity of the nearby Tullamarine Airport. Most likely in its direct flight path. Okay. Now the investigators had the rough height of the suspect, as well as detailed sketches of his house, the interior of his car, and a good idea of where he might live. Okay. Now we're moving on to a different family. John and Phyllis Chan were two incredibly hardworking parents that worked approximately 18 hours a day to ensure luxurious lives for their three daughters. They were both immigrants to Australia as well, just like the last family, and the two parents owned three restaurants in Elham area of Victoria, as well as a handful of other property investments. I would just like to point out, mm-hmm. all of these families have just daughters, except for the first one, mm-hmm. had one son. All of these families have only daughters. Yeah. Crazy. And multiple of them. That's kind of, 
I think that's like a, what is it? A pattern. Mm-hmm. And they took the oldest one every time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wait, right? No, they took the youngest one in the last family. But, but they took the oldest one in like the first two. Weird. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So like you said, they were both immigrants to Australia. Owned property investments, couple restaurants. Um, okay. The two parents often didn't return home until m- around midnight, which, because they were managing these restaurants and mm-hmm. things, they had a lot of things to do. Yeah. They would often leave their three daughters home alone, trusting their two, or sorry, trusting their 13-year-old daughter, Carmine, to watch over the other two. Um, they think that Mr. Cruel had known this in advance. Mm-hmm. They think that he would stake out the victims for weeks or months ahead of time. That is crazy. So he would know the, their habits and things. Mm-hmm. On April 13th of 1991, Carmine and her two younger sisters were left home alone. It was on a Saturday night, so it meant that they would just watch movies and TV in Carmine's room and just hang out. Mm-hmm. At roughly 8.40 in the evening, Carmine and one of her sisters started to go to the kitchen to make something to eat. And they were confronted by the abductor. Okay. He was wearing his traditional, like, mask, mm-hmm. along with a green-gray tracksuit, and he was holding a knife. Mm-hmm. He told the girls that he only wanted their money, just like he did every other time. And he forced the two younger daughters into Carmine's closet. He claimed he only wanted Carmine to show him where the money was, but he did brace the bed in front of the closet and ended up taking Carmine. Okay. Carmine, Carmine. Carmine? I don't know if it's Carmen. I think it's Carmine. Okay. Within minutes, the two youngest sisters had broken free from the closet, and they called their father. Okay. But by the time police arrived, something interesting had been left. Okay. Written in big, bold letters... On Phyllis Chan's parked Toyota Camry were the words, Payback Asian Drug Dealer. More. More to come. Mm. Okay. But, again, is this a real thing? Or is he trying to fuck with the police? Right. So, police traced his entrance. He cut out a window screen to get into the home. They tracked his steps throughout the house, and he got away through the sliding glass door in the kitchen. Okay. They used tracking dogs, and they were able to trace his steps through the family's garden and the tennis court up to nearly 300 meters away at a vacant lot where he must have made his getaway with Carmine in a waiting car. Mm-hmm. Hoping to get their daughter returned home safely to them, both John and Phyllis Chan held a pref- press conference roughly 72 hours later. Phyllis Chan broke down sobbing, holding up the outfit Carmine had been wearing the night she was taken, and they pled for their daughter to be returned home safely. Days later, the Chan family posted an encrypted letter in the local newspaper using a cipher that Carmine would have been able to decipher. Okay. They offered ransom in exchange for the safe return of her. Even the sisters pinned letters to be published in the media, begging for their older sister to be returned, to help take care of them, and to help with their homework. Mm. Unfortunately, days weeks and months would pass with no word on her safe return it's not looking good the first police responder spoiled any potential evidence by failing to establish the chan house as a crime scene 
There were dozens of police walking throughout the house and looking for leads before investigators could begin to look for clues of their own. The police did look into John Chan's personal life, but nothing ever came of it. Mm -hmm. And the writing on the Chan's vehicle was nothing more than another red herring. They were, again, he was trying to mislead investigators. Right. One of the largest manhunts in Australian history, Operation Spectrum, was a multi-million dollar undertaking that consumed tens of thousands of man hours, along with many thousands of more volunteer hours. Offering a $300,000 reward for any information leading to the capture of Mr. Cruel, and hopefully the safe return of Carmine Chan. Nearly a year to the day of Carmine's abduction, on April 9th of 1992, a man was walking his dog in the nearby area of Thomastown along Edgar's Creek when the pair stumbled upon a weird object. Uh-oh. He bent down to touch it and immediately was horrified. He returned home to alert authorities. Again, no cell phones. Mm-hmm. And the police discovered a fully decomposed skeleton, which would soon be revealed to have been Carmine Chan. Man. Chan. An autopsy would reveal that Carmine had been shot three times in the head, execution style, and based on the decomposition of her skeleton, had likely been dead for close to a year. So he must have killed her shortly after he took her. Mm -hmm. Didn't take her back to his house or anything, probably. I mean, he could have, and he just took her out there to shoot her. That's true. That's crazy. There are many theories as to why he murdered her. Mm-hmm. Um... Carmine's mother, Phyllis, insists that she was a stubborn girl who would have fought against being victimized and likely learned Mr. Cruel's identity. Mm. Even though his life had been torn apart, John Chan was cleared of any possible wrongdoing and revealed to be an upstanding member of society. Okay. Operation Spectrum now publicly connected Carmine Chan's murder to the three previous sexual assault slash kidnappings. Okay. Operation Spectrum would last for the next few years, costing over $4 million. Dang. The 40-member task would go on to investigate over 27,000 suspects, receive over 10,000 tips from the public, and search over 30,000 houses in the hopes of identifying a single clue. While Mr. Cruel was never identified by the task force, it went on to arrest over 70 people involved in child pornography, which wow. a lot of people thought Mr. Cruel was involved in. Both of his freed abductee, abduct, abductees, jeez, why is that word so hard to <laughs> say? They had claimed to have seen or heard clues of a camera at mm-hmm. the foot of the bed they were restrained to. Mm-hmm. So that's why people think he was involved in child pornography. Unfortunately, the Victoria Police Force was marred with claims or corruption in the early 1990s, which not only would go on to affect the later investigations into Mr. Cruel, but bring forward many claims of a cover-up. Operation Spectrum was eventually shelved in 1994. No future crimes would be attributed to him, but investigators have possibly tagged prior crimes on Mr. Cruel. While they believed that the abduction and murder of Carmine Chan was his last offense in the Victoria area, there are potentially up to a dozen assaults on children in the mid-1980s that have remained unsolved. Almost all of them share a couple details with the Mr. Cruel abductions. So, same type of deal. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that Mr. Cruel is far more notorious of a criminal than publicly known, 
but police have refused to release details of these prior assaults or his ties to them. Another theory that has emerged has been Mr. Cruel's supposed ties to the Victoria school system. Mm -hmm. All four of the assaults and abductions happened during school breaks, which led many people to believe that Mr. Cruel was an employee of the local school system. Makes sense. This also goes in conjuncture with the knowledge that both Nicola uh, Linus and Carmine Chan attended the same school, mm-hmm. Presbyterian Ladies College, and Mr. Cruel requested that Nicola br- to bring her school uniform along with her. Mm-hmm. This would bring into question his ties to Sharon Wills since he addressed her by her name on the night she was abducted. Right. Further interviews with his two living abductees revealed that he liked to refer to them as Missy and lived in a fantasy where he thought the two were married. Disgusting. In 2010, over 20 years after the original abductions and assaults, a new investigation was launched into finding out details and hopefully identifying this man. Task Force Apollo was launched, hoping that newer technology and investigative methods could bring about an answer that prior detectives had failed to find. Many of the case files were misfiled, unorganized, or just straight up missing. Of course. In fact, one of the vital pieces of evidence that could have led to Mr. Cruel's doorstep, a piece of tape used to find one of the victims, was missing. Of course it was. Police could have potentially used that piece of tape to recover DNA from Mr. Cruel, but it had disappeared while in police custody. Mm. This missing piece of crucial evidence, paired with Mr. Cruel's tactical abilities and his knowledge of forensic evidence, has led many to theorize that he might have been involved in law enforcement. Okay. It's possible that he would know what investigators would be looking for, which is why he did his best to clean his victims of any DNA and remove vital evidence afterwards. We can only guess whether it was corruption or ineptitude that led to these essential parts of the case going missing. Mm Mm-hmm. One suspect was detained in 2013 that ultimately could have been Mr. Cruel, but they don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. Robert Keith Knight was a man who had made a living as a youth worker and school volunteer, but had been arrested on two separate occasions for a variety of crimes against children. In 1980 and 1996, he had been arrested and convicted for sexual assault on minors, and a multitude of other victims had come out of the woodwork following his convictions. According to the original Operation Spectrum investigators, Robert Keith Knight was one of their their suspects that had never quite panned out, but investigators had been unable to eliminate him. He remained a person of interest throughout the following investigations. Also, the time of the Mr. Cruel assaults would line up with his post-1980 conviction release, Mm -hmm. and after being released from prison for his 1996 conviction, In 2009, Robert began to accumulate thousands of child pornography images, and he was later detained in an investigation by Victorian police. Mm. He pled guilty to the overwhelming evidence, and while awaiting trial, he leaped from a second-story prison railing to his death by suicide. Wow. So he is just one of the many suspects that the Victorian police force have had to this day, and they have refused to make much more information public. 
Okay. More recently, many people have begun to theorize that Mr. Cruel himself might have resurfaced and been involved in a 2011 abduction of 13-year-old schoolgirl Bung Shirabun, as that case remains unsolved without an end in sight. Hmm. As of this moment, the Mr. Cruel case is still open, and he remains one of Australia's most wanted criminals. That is fucking crazy. Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with people? That's like any person's worst nightmare. Literally. Any parents' worst parents, nightmare. People in general. Like. It's, parents it's especially. Crazy. Yes. Parents especially. Like being helpless in that situation. And you're supposed to be your child's protector. You're supposed to be able to fight for them at all times. And make right. sure they're safe at all times. Right. Being in that situation. You're tied up. You can't do anything. Imagine being the Chan family, too. Yeah. Because the other daughters were returned. But she wasn't. Yeah. She was murdered. Like, why her? That's what I want to know. Maybe she fought back too much. He wasn't expecting that. Maybe she did find out his identity. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well... Now what am I I mean, even if she knew what he looked like... Unless she recognized him. Unless he was a teacher at her school again or she just fought too much and he didn't want to put up with it mm-hmm. it's just crazy and the, the that's what sucks with these cases is we might never know mm-hmm. and this one sounds like we won't it has a lot of miscommunications mm-hmm. within the investigation and mm-hmm. dna and I don't know. There have been some old cases that have been solved. There has. And they are... It seems like they're still keeping a lot of stuff close to the chest. Mm Mm-hmm. But it also could have been Robert Keith Knight. Could have been. And he's dead now, so... Mm Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. Yep. So, anyways, sorry to make you depressy, but it's kind of our job. Yeah. Spread awareness. Yes. And if you haven't already the link in our show notes to check out our socials mm-hmm. um check out our patreon we got stuffs on there early release of episodes every sunday shout outs etc etc if you want to know more go hit the link um oh rate us review us if you're clicking out right now you have time to do it mm-hmm. it's like one button just like press it Whatever star you want to give us. Just click it. We're grateful for it, okay? Yes. And that is all. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.